Here's the thing about bad reviews. They hurt. They sting. Some of them stick with you. I remember a review where a woman called me an illiterate hypocrite and then proceeded to misspell all four of my names. Bad reviews suck, but they're just words. A burning hotel room, on the other hand. Well, that's as bad a review as you can get. So it looks like the explosion was the result of arson. Uh, we can't be totally sure that you were the target, Miss Abigail's. It probably you, though. Do you have any idea who could have done this? <laughs> you know, it, it's funny, because uh, I was just about to ask you the same question. <laughs> Man. Chief Flooper, you, you're the police! Yeah, yeah, I know, and I'm trying to help you. Do you have any enemies? Anyone who would want you gone? It was a tough question. My reception in Queen City hadn't exactly been warm, but I didn't think anybody wanted to kill me. I tried to think of who stood to lose anything from me telling this story, but I was coming up blank. Chief Luber asked me one more question outside the hotel that I also had a tough time answering. Do you have a safe place to stay tonight? Hmm? Oh. Um... I put out sleeping bags in the living room, and I got some kettle corn on the stove! When I called Patrick Shanahan at 9.30 that night and told him that our hotel room had been blown up, I was worried he wouldn't let us in. Or that worse, he'd think I was making a booty call. But when Parker and I show up, he has the energy of a kid throwing his first sleepover. You guys hungry? I make a mean flatbread, or we could make a blanket for it. Ooh, 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 I have Beatles rock band. Like the, the original from 11 years ago? I wish we could, but we definitely can't afford to put Beatles music in the podcast. Giant Jenga, then? I have a bunch of party games that I never get to use. <laughs> I have a better idea. You have a couple of whiteboards in the basement, right? Well, yeah, but the museum's closed for the night. Unless, of course, this is official pigeon boy business. Yeah, Patrick. It is. Don't get me wrong. I love giant Jenga. And kettle corn is one of my favorite sometimes foods. But there's no way I could put this mystery out of my mind for one more second. In the basement, Patrick sets up two whiteboards and we get to work. Okay, so Parker, you wrote down the names of all the potential suspects for the Pigeon Boy murders. Yeah. We have Colin Thistle, Lindsay Christ, Cecil Carraway, and Mayor Creasy. Those last two probably would have hired a killer, though. Right. Okay, and Patrick, what's on your board? I've got the list of everyone we think could be a suspect in your hotel room getting blown up. So far, you've had me put down Chief Luber... Helen Carraway, daughter of Cecil. Oh, she probably also would have hired a killer. Like father, like daughter. So, Eric Luber, Helen Carraway, Lindsay Christ with a question mark. Wait, why the question mark? She's still alive, isn't she? Yeah, but she's not really doing too great. The church lost the compound while she was in prison. I mean, I think she's got a few followers living with her out of a bus way out in the hills. I mean, most of the correctionals quit and moved away. The ones that stayed, they, you know, 
weren't exactly the cream of the crop, brain-wise, you know? And, uh, they're all in their 70s. But they would have a vested interest in keeping the cult's role in the murder covered up, right? So the last members would stay out of jail? I'll take the question mark off. I'm looking at the two lists of names, trying to see if anything lines up. Lindsay Christ's name is on both, but Patrick is right. She's just a sick old lady. Chief Luber would certainly make sense for the arson. <laughs> I mean, so far this podcast has shown the Queen City Police Department to be bad at police work. But they have so little manpower, I doubt they could blow up a hotel room even if they wanted to. Helen Carraway definitely has the money to send a threat, but why would she? She has no family, no legacy left to protect? I'm coming up blank. I decided to tackle Parker's board to see if it's any easier. Parker, next to Colin Thistle, put 1978 to 1982. You think he did all those murders? Almost. I think Lindsay Christ, or maybe her followers, murdered Logan Rivers in 1982. This is your multiple killers theory? Yeah, we've got Creasy or Caraway or both behind the 1986 murder. Jot that down. Then who killed Creasy? What about Cecil Caraway? Maybe the mayor slipped out from under his control and then he had him killed. But the company and the town were already down the tubes at this point. And besides, Cecil Caraway, um, there's not a polite way to say this, is there? He was overseas during the war and I mean they didn't know how to treat VD back then his mind was pretty much gone at that point then maybe it was uh, could Lindsay have no there's one name I don't see on either of these boards and it's Pigeon Boy wouldn't that fill in some of your gaps Oh, oh, I, I see. So you really think it was a pigeon-human mutant that killed your mare? You know what? Yes. Yes, I do. I know it sounds a little out there. A little? But it explains so much about what we don't know. Creasy's door was locked from the inside. It was three stories up. Wouldn't that make more sense if the killer could fly away? No, there has to be some sort of rational explanation here that doesn't involve some, some dumb boogeyman from your childhood. I... I I get it. You think I have a child's brain because I believe in something that's hard to prove. Good night, Sarah Ashley. Wait, Patrick, I'm... Oh. So is the blanket fort off the table then? Or? I didn't mean to offend Patrick. It isn't childish to look for answers to hard questions like that. It's, it's human. But it meant I had to figure out who killed Mayor Creasy and why. Surprisingly, that second question had more answers than the first. I spoke briefly in my first episode about how Mayor Creasy fell from grace during his three terms as mayor. But in actuality, it's even crazier than I first thought. And news from City Hall today, where Mayor Anthony Creasy has announced the sale of the city's roads to a private company, PayView Tech. The roads will be maintained by the company, which will charge a monthly fee for residents to use the roads. The roads that they used to own. Let's just, just go to the live feed. Mayor Creasy? Mayor Creasy, will citizens really have to pay to use their own roads? I want to thank you for that question. 
and for all the questions that make this city the finest city in the world. Yes, there will be a small fee, but it will eliminate an entire city department, and I'll be redirecting all that money to the police until they find the pigeon boy killer and bring him to justice. Yeah, I remember that. It only lasted about six months. Once people realized they could drive on the sidewalks for free, Payview Tech had to pack up and leave town. We wanted to stop people from driving on the sidewalk, sure, but, you know, we couldn't pull anyone over, right? We, we, we would have had to pay to pursue them. We, we ended up just letting everyone go until the whole thing blew over. This is a pattern throughout all 12 years Mayor Creasy was in office. He would privatize a public utility or enterprise, or even just minimize a government department, anything to cut city spending. Oh, it seemed like a good idea at the time. Nobody had tried to run a government like a business, and in the 80s, business was booming. He tried to make money any way he could. He rented park space to farmers. He sold the water rights to Sugar Creek to Dow Chemical. Hell, he let other cities pay to dump their trash in the Gibson Waste Disposal lot. What was there before? Well trash, but it was our trash. He, he even let chicken, beans, and rice take over the contract for school lunches. You know, at the time, it seemed like normal school lunch stuff. You know, square pizza, Salisbury steak, you know, that kind of thing. In 88, they found out that it was all made of leftover rice just pushed into patties. A lot of kids walking around with anemia at that high school. A lot of vitamin deficiency. They had CBR contract, all kinds of stuff. They sponsored all the art programs in public schools. We had a contest each year to redesign the chicken, beans, and rice logo. That's like millions of dollars of graphic design they got a bunch of kids to do for free. I mean, for me, the worst part was having to ask for tips. It's kind of tough to ask a woman whose kid just got shot like, hey, if you think we're doing a good job, maybe you could spare us a couple bucks. At least we didn't go to a subscription service. Ugh, like the fire department tried to. So why was the mayor so hell-bent on privatizing the government? It was a lot easier to embezzle private money. We found that out after the mayor died, but he was taking big kickbacks from anyone who got a government contract. You may be wondering why Queen citizens didn't protest this flagrant theft. Well... Mayor Creasy knew just how to distract them. People of Queen City, too long has the menace known as Pigeon Boys stalked our nights and made our streets unsafe. But now, with the signing into law of My Safety for Patriots Act, we need fear no longer. This new law authorizes, nay, demands that the office of the city treasurer allocates money to better arm our police. We'll catch this bastard yet. Yeah, Creasy was one of the first mayors to jump on the whole buy old military stuff for the police to use. I know a lot of cops these days love that. But at the time, well, I mean, frankly, we were just confused. The government still had all this stuff left over from the Vietnam. And they say, hey. Any law enforcement in the country that wants this stuff can have first crack at it. Then we let the Iranians take their pick. 
I mean, Creasy bit on a bunch of stuff, sight unseen. So let me get this straight. This is, like, machine guns and body armor, right? <laughs> See, that's what we thought. That's what we thought. But then the crates show up. And what's inside them? Canisters of Agent Orange. Hand grenades. A tank. Oh, and, and landmines. I mean, what the hell does a police department want with landmines? We, we tried to use them to block off a street for a parade route. Only we blocked off the wrong part of the intersection. You know, and, th and then when those horses walked across them, oh, jeez. Oh, jeez, it was like something out of a movie. Like a movie about killing horses. During Mayor Crazy's tenure, the city spent $1.8 million better arming the police. Over half the city's budget during that time. The mayor was obsessed. If elected to be your next mayor... I promise that I will restore our water and gas utilities to a system that works. Not just for the wealthy, but for all What I want to know, Councilman Dobbs, is who do you think is going to stand up to the pigeon boy? Might I point out, Mr. Mayor, that your efforts so far haven't yielded- Until we know the killer's name, the mayor stays the same. Until we know the killer's name, the mayor stays the same. Everybody, come on! Until we know the killer's name, the mayor stays the same! Even with constant reassurances from the mayor, police were still not able to produce a single lead in the investigation of the Pigeon Boy murders. Still, the idea of a better-funded police department gave citizens the illusion of a safer city, even though there was really no significant change in violent or nonviolent crimes. Mayor Creasy's pet project seemed like a generally harmless waste of money. Until the summer of 1994, that is, when everything caught up to the mayor all at once. Karen Shipperding reporting. I'm standing at the Municipal Water Treatment Park, where a tank has burst, spilling thousands of gallons of wastewater directly into the Queen City Reservoir, which supplies the town with drinking water. We're waiting on confirmation, but it seems that the tank was supposed to be replaced nine years ago, in 1985, by H2O, a private corporation contracted by the city to manage the water supply. Sources tell us that H2O is a... This is where things go from bad to worse for Queen City. It's 1994, the city government is in severe debt, and now there's no clean water. People out by us started digging wells and dropping iodine tablets into buckets of tap water just to get a drink. If you thought it was bad being in a cult living on a compound before, well, imagine that minus showers. It was getting unlivable. And you left the cult around then? I guess. <laughs> or it left. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I'd really been an on-the-compound correctionalist since I was still alive. I'd been there for all of it. When I was 16, it really felt like I had stumbled onto all of life's answers. And then, suddenly, I was 41, living in a two-bedroom house with 15 other people. No running water, no electricity. For weeks, people had been quitting, walking away. 
We really were the last of the last. Had you known them the whole time? Not everybody, but most of us were lifers. I think we all just felt like, who were we going to be when this was over? Eventually, staying got scarier than leaving. Once I left, it was like a whole nother life started. But watching the church thin out like that was like watching God dissolve a piece at a time. I knew I had to leave or I'd die. She wasn't the only one. Between the start of the water shortage in June and the end of the summer, roughly a third of Queen City's population left the city. People just pulled up stakes and moved with no warning. You'd walk down your street and doors would just be swinging on their hinges. They didn't even wait to sell their houses. They just grabbed whatever their cars could fit and leave. I mean, I started taking people's TVs, but then I realized there was nobody to sell them to, so I just ended up setting them on fire in a pile. (laughs) It was pretty rad. People on the south side left their dogs, so suddenly there's just roving packs of stray dogs that own the streets, and animal control had been disbanded by Mayor Creasy two years before, so the dogs were totally self-governing. Ugh. I think the worst part was all the fires. You forget how much water you need to put out a fire. The mayor sent a memo to the fire chief that they'd only be able to put out three fires a day. On a good day, that was fine, but on a bad day... Well, the Willow Creek subdivision burned for about two weeks. Kept everyone up at night. It was like a big glowing nightlight. Damn McMansions. I remember driving back to town from a ska show in Kansas City. Third wave was just coming into its own. It was a magical time. I was driving back early in the morning in August, and I come over the edge of the bowl, and I look down, and I see all the smoke and, and these fires, and people trying to put them out themselves. Houses were boarded up. Uh, you know, there was nobody on the streets, and, and the people who were out on the streets were getting attacked by dogs. and uh, It looked like a painting of hell. Mayor Creasy knew that the sudden loss of taxpayers would be a bigger blow than the government could handle. So he tried to get creative. He tried to talk the police into physically stopping people from leaving the city. And he wanted it done with extreme force. Now, don't get me wrong. I wanted people to stay in town. I knew the city needed it. But when you're an officer of the law, you always think about what it would be like if you had to use force. You want it to be you and your partner against a gang of dangerous criminals, like like, in the movies. Not you and the entire police force against a bunch of unarmed civilians, like it always is in real life. Always. So we told them no. Effective Monday, August 15th, the Queen City Police Officers Union was on strike. Oh, you could tell Creasy took it personally. I I mean, he needed the police force for a lot of reasons. He was supposed to be tough on crime, and he needed us to help maintain order because people were getting desperate for water. But I think he was confused about what to do. You know, he was a businessman, and he he probably wanted to send the police to break up the strikers. But see, the strikers were the police. It was a a real head-scratcher for him. Mayor Creasy's answer? Today, I am proud to swear in these fine young queen citizens as emergency deputies. Gentlemen, 
and lady, raise your right hands and repeat after me. I swear. He got teenage boys and one teenage girl to serve as interim sheriff's deputies. These were kids he recruited right out of high school. Heck, a lot of them weren't even 18. Queens County has always had a sheriff, but as the city grew, city police sort of took over. It was a ceremonial position. The sheriff back then was in his 80s, but the law still allowed him to round up a posse and declare martial law in a state of emergency. Why would it do that? Well, I think it was from like cowboy times and it was probably just to round up men to catch horse thieves or whatever. I mean, I, I don't really know the law. I just, I just didn't enforce it. 70 deputies are sworn in on Wednesday, August 17th in front of the courthouse. I find a photo of this from the Times Journal Gazette. There's Mayor Creasy and behind him a row of scrawny teenagers wearing big sheriff Stetsons with ripped jeans and t-shirts. And some are carrying the military surplus rifles that Mayor Creasy had bought for the police force, sight unseen. The headline reads simply, here come the wild bunch. Mayor Creasy picked that name, which I thought was an odd move. I mean, you probably don't want to describe your law enforcement as wild, right? Plus, in the movie The Wild Bunch, the name refers to a gang of criminals. So why do you think he picked that name? Because he knew they weren't going to enforce anything. They were thugs is what they were. Creasy wanted them to scare people, to make them afraid to leave town. They would drive around in these Ford Broncos with the doors torn off, a bunch of them just sitting in the back with rifles. If they saw somebody packing up to leave, they would slash their tires and smash up their stuff. If they ever saw more than four people meeting, they'd fire off rounds into the air or smash them up with nightclubs. So these were pretty scary characters then. <laughs> No, uh, not really. <laughs> I mean, they wanted to be. They'd wear bandanas and aviators to try and look like action stars. Uh, but then you'd see their chicken legs sticking out of the bottom of a pair of denim cutoffs. Have you ever seen anybody in denim cutoffs holding an assault rifle? It's hard to take that seriously. You'd see them threatening people all the time. They, they didn't try and hide it. You couldn't do anything but stand there and watch. Oh, you were scared of retaliation? Meh. <laughs> I could have kicked their asses, but I, I was on strike. I wanted to thank our fine sheriff deputies, the wild bunch, you know, a, a swell bunch of cowboys out here and one cowgirl, let's not forget. Uh, every day they come to me and they tell me, Mr. Mayor, sir, we are closer than ever to catching the pigeon boy killer and bringing him to justice. We are weeks away, maybe even days. I can only find one newspaper mention of the so-called Wild Bunch successfully stopping a crime. It was a purse snatching that resulted in three fatalities. So who would want to become a deputy and why? Creasy couldn't pay him, the city had no budget, and he was already keeping all this cash at City Hall, building himself a golden parachute. I think he saw the writing on the wall. The scheme was up. So if he couldn't pay him, why would they join? He got a bunch of head cases, kids with discipline problems, boys who had dropped out of high school. 
I think some of them actually volunteered in lieu of court-mandated community service. They wanted the power trip. They were rowdy, violent, stoned, and they were above the law. It went to their heads. They went mad with power. I mean, Pat Shanahan is still crazy, and Marcus Quarterman cannot keep- I'm sorry, did you say Patrick Shanahan? Yeah, he was one of the wild bunch back then. I, I think he was one of the, like, officers, too, since he was 19, so he was giving orders on the ground. Did you not know that? No, um, I've, I've actually been staying with him. You're a braver woman than me. That guy is capital C crazy. I feel like my brain just got punched in the stomach. The carpet has once again been pulled out from under me, and I'm falling like there's no floor underneath. I wrap up with Joan and I walk to the Sorrento in a daze as Parker puts the gear in the trunk. I start the car and drive. <clears throat> so, where are we going? I don't know. I don't want to go back to his house. That was insane! How... How did we not know that? I mean, we can't go back, right? This guy is a is a violent ex-child soldier or whatever. He could kill us in our sleep. We're gonna have to go back at some point. We left our bags there. No, he was hiding this on purpose. He had to be. I mean, he definitely admitted this on purpose. Probably. I don't know. What's the right time to tell someone you were a child soldier for a despot mayor? I don't know, Parker, sooner than this. Definitely before they crash on your couch. Okay, okay, okay. Can you walk us through what the new information means? Are you recording this, Parker? Jesus Christ, you have to warn me. I'm just talking. But the candid, behind-the-scenes stuff is what's playing the best. People love having the curtain pulled back in a podcast. Especially yours, because they get to see the real you. And she's pretty great. You always know what to say. I know. Now, can you walk them through what this means? Well, it means we're not sleeping at Patrick's house tonight. It means, well, it, it means he worked for Mayor Creasy. Maybe that's why he's so obsessed with Pigeon Boy. Maybe he inherited it from his old best friend. Jesus, I, <laughs> I trusted him. He was so harmless. He had a beanbag chip. How could I not have seen this? I fell for it too. It's okay. We're okay now. Could it mean anything else? I mean, it could mean that he knows something else about Pigeon Boy. Something else he's not telling us. What do you think it is? Is that me? Can you get that? Uh, it's Patrick. Oh, don't answer. Maybe he just wants to talk. Do you feel safer on that guy? No. Not at all. Good point. Jesus, dude, take a hint. It's not Patrick. It's an unknown number. Parker, have you never been stalked before? It's probably still him. So you don't want to know who's calling? Not even for the podcast? It could be a good cliffhanger. Fine. Put it on speaker. Hello? Hello, am I speaking to Sarah Abigails? Actually, I go by Sarah Ashley Elizabeth Abigails. I don't really care. I just wanted to be sure you were the podcastress. I am the podcaster, gender neutral. Who's this? This is Helen Carraway, and I think it's high time you did me the courtesy of talking to me face to face about my brother and not just behind my back. Your brother? Yes, my brother, the young man you've been calling... Pigeon boy? 
He's real? He's real? Of course he's real. What kind of a question is that? Now can you get here this evening? Get where? I'm in the big house on the hill, on the edge of the bolt. The gate with a big C on it. You can't miss it. We're on our way. We'll hear the interview with Helen Carraway next time on the final episode of the Upsetting Investigations series on Pigeon Boy.